welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Othman, a biblical church centered on Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we give you praise and thanks this morning uh, for a new day and new mercies, God. Uh, your mercies are truly uh, new every morning, God, and we give you praise, especially today, Lord, as we have gathered as a church on your day uh, to reflect on your goodness and kindness and grace on us and salvation that only comes through you. Uh, Lord, we pray at this time, may you be glorified, may you edify the church and, and build them up. And Lord, I pray that you'll convict us of our sin and, and work in our hearts this morning as we evaluate our hearts. Uh, Lord, may you be at work so that we can draw near to you, uh, worship you with uh, more affection and be a light to the world, God, that in all that we do, it will be a witness uh, to your glory and your goodness. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, obviously, it is New Year's Day, and uh, the New Year's holiday, it's always, uh, it's been amusing to me. It's always just something, when you think about the day and what it is, it's just kind of a, a funny day. Uh, I like New Year's Eve and counting down to the New Year. That's all well and good. It's fun. I don't know anyone who doesn't like the countdown. That's like maybe the best part of New Year's is counting down uh, to the new year. It's great to be excited about a new year. Uh, it's good to reflect a little bit on the year that's gone by. Probably most of us do that. You get to New Year's Eve and, and right before New Year's Day you think about, uh, okay, how was this last year? What did I do? What were some exciting moments? What were some things I really remember? Um, you know, what was tough, right? So we think about all those things uh, and the previous year. But what really amuses me, and amuse is not necessarily the best word here, maybe it saddens, something that saddens me, is seeing how other people view the holiday, uh, especially in the world, uh, how maybe worldly people view the holiday. One very common sentiment from people, is, you know, when they think about the year, the year that's passed, is good riddance. Oh, thank goodness that year is behind us. Uh, that was a bad year. And year after year, if you, if you notice, if you pay attention, especially social media makes this very easy these days to notice these things. Year after year, the same people complain about how bad a year it's been and how next year, what? It's going to be different, right? Next year is going to be better. This year, oh, it stunk. That's, oh, good written. So glad it's behind us. But next year, all right, this is, this is my year. And yes, we can acknowledge that there are years that can be difficult. We've all probably walked through times and seasons and years that were very challenging, where there were many trials and difficulties. Uh, we've all had years where people we love deeply pass away, right? We've experienced that in our lives. Years where we've had pain and difficulties with our health or maybe the health of a family member. We have those years, right? Years where work was especially taxing or more tension and stress at home than usual. We've had those years too. Years where the family feels fragile. Maybe it didn't feel as strong this past year uh, or years before as other times in the past. Years where your marriage just doesn't feel the same. Years where finances were a constant point of worry and stress. Sometimes we look back and say, man, that was a tough year. So that's not what I'm getting at. There are years that are difficult. 
We should recognize the difficulties of life. And as Christians, we should be the most empathetic and sympathetic people to our brothers and sisters who are enduring trials. So, uh, you know, I'm not speaking to that part. We all go through difficulties and trials and struggles. But it's more of the sentiment of just no matter what, oh, that year was bad, right? These things are very different from a worldly view that is lamenting every year because maybe the wrong politician did or didn't get elected. That, that in our culture, is probably like the number one thing that people think about. Oh, that was a terrible year. Can you believe they got elected? Or can you believe they lost the election? That's that, probably the number one complaint that I see of what makes a year bad in, in a lot of people's eyes. Or maybe it's that a lot of celebrities that they never met passed away. It's, okay, it's sad that certain people have died and passed away. And there's people that, you know, they make an impact in our lives. I think that we can't, uh, we can't ignore that part, right? But I, I've never said, oh, man, that year was terrible because this person I did not even know passed away. Like, that's never crossed my mind. But the world's eyes, you see this all the time. And that makes a terrible year for them? Or this was a terrible year because Elon Musk bought Twitter. Man, there's probably a lot of people saying that right now. You can name whatever circumstance or scenario and, and, and what the world may think makes a bad year. But as believers, I, you know, I think we have to have a different perspective. And all the while, these people will think that by some kind of magic, next year will be better. All of their hope is in the world that is failing them all the time. All around them is just failure after failure. And they will just hope in a fantasy that at the stroke of midnight, the tide's going to turn. It's going to get better. It's like Cinderella in reverse, right? You know, Cinderella, everything's good. Then at midnight, it goes back to reality. Uh, a lot of people think of New Year's. It's, it's the opposite. That at midnight, the stroke of midnight, reality is going to fade away. And next year is going to become the real fantasy. That The fantasy is going to become reality. As Christians, we do not live in a fantasy world, do we? We don't live to escape reality. We are citizens of God's kingdom. As believers, we are citizens of God's kingdom. And as citizens of the kingdom of God, we are called to what? Rejoice always. So even if it's been a bad year, no matter the circumstances... The circumstances should never dictate our willingness or ability to rejoice in the Lord. If it's been a hard year, maybe it has. And we don't want to ignore that or dismiss that. If it's been a hard year, rejoice in the Lord because he is faithful. And he will supply you with the grace you need. His grace is sufficient for you. Has it been a great year for you? Maybe you look back on this last year and say, man, it was great. The Lord blessed me in so many ways. My health was good. My finances were good. I had new children or grandchildren. Just every, that is, we should rejoice and praise the Lord for his blessings. But perhaps even more so, lift up and bear the burdens of those in the midst of trials. You know, we are called to uh, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And, and that's, a, that's a, a two-sided thing, right? If you are in a season of 
Rejoicing, that is great, rejoice. But always remember, there are people going through trials that you need to mourn with and, and walk through with. If you're in the midst of great trials and difficulties, despite whatever is going on, when you see someone rejoicing who has great reason to rejoice, don't forget, you need to rejoice with them as well. I think probably it's easier to mourn, when things are good, to mourn with those who mourn. If you're going through, if you're the person who is mourning and grieving, Remember, you are still called to rejoice with those who rejoice. That is a very difficult thing, but that is a powerful testimony. I, you know, I know there's been people in my life who have gone through some difficult, difficult trials. And, you know, maybe there's been something in my life that was of great rejoicing. And when I, you know, kind of brought this just to share my rejoicing, to see that person who was going through a trial truly rejoice with me, it's powerful because I know I'm thinking, man, they've been through a lot, but I, I know that is they're sincere in that, that they truly are rejoicing with me because they know God is is faithful to them and that the circumstances of anyone else should not change how we view uh, and how we interact in our relationship with God. We need to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Living in God's kingdom as his citizens should give us new perspective on everything. Everything in life, we should have a new perspective as his citizens. We do not live as those who are only citizens of this world. Their concerns should not be like our concerns, and their priorities should not be like our priorities. So that brings us to our passage this morning, and it's kind of a, a, a tough transition uh, from that. I, hopefully I can connect the dots here. I'm praying that I can, but we're going to read, and our passage this morning is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. I think it might even be up on the screen. So Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Perhaps one of the biggest focuses of New Year's, I think we, could all, we all know where this is going, is resolutions, right? And, and setting goals and making markers of success. A lot of us do that. Uh, probably most, I, I could make up some stat, everyone would believe me, but probably most people, they make resolutions. It's, they're just very half-hearted, but other people make real goals, they set real goals uh, for their life and markers of success that they want to hit for the following year, or maybe at least move towards, right? And those, uh, you know, those can be good, but a lot of times they're very meaningless resolutions. And while there are many good goals to strive for, we should take great caution not to let those things become the focus of our hearts. And that can absolutely happen. So, do you have a real goal to get fit? A lot of people, that's probably the number, every year the number one resolution is, I want to get, lose weight, I want to get in better shape, get healthy. Okay, that's great. That, that is a great goal and perhaps resolution to have. But don't let it consume your heart at the expense of your relationship with the Lord and your spouse. Do you have a goal to advance your career? 
Don't let it consume your heart at the expense of your relationship to God and your family. Do you have a goal to save more money? That's great, but don't let it consume your heart at the expense of your relationship to God and your neighbor. That passage starts out, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. This command from Jesus, it encompasses anything the world has to offer, the treasures on earth. Anything other than the things only God can offer. Those are, are the treasures of earth. Now I'll get a little more specific on that. I think the passage is clear on a little more detail on what that really means. But I mean really anything this world has to offer. And this world can offer a lot. I think we all, we all know and recognize this. And for Christians it's easy for us to not make idols of the objectively wicked things of the world. As Christians, like we see things, there are certain things that are so wicked and deplorable in the world, probably a lot of us, those aren't the things that we are struggling with. We see those things, it's easy, oh, I, yeah, I'm not going to make that my treasure. That's, that's obvious. That's what the world does. But the hard part for the church is re, is. Resisting the temptation to store up treasures and earthly things that should be sources of blessing when we submit them to the Lord. So I think that's where the temptation comes, and that's the warning Jesus is giving. There's, there's good things in the world, things that can be of great blessing, but if you make those your treasure, watch out. So what happens... Oh, I'm sorry... Um, we need to submit those things to the Lord. So I believe the clear reading of this passage, to be more specific, it's just a, a glancing reading. If you were just to open up your Bible randomly, you don't know anything, what does that passage mean? What is that speaking of when it says treasures? I think, I think that the treasures mentioned are material possessions and money. Now, I think it, it can apply broader. It can apply to maybe uh, immaterial things on earth. But I really think the clear reading, and that's when you, get into, when you do hermeneutics, how do you read and understand the Bible? One of the, the main things is, okay, what seems to be most clear at the surface? Now, sometimes you, you really have to dig much, much deeper, but what is it on the surface, what does it look like? And I think that's pretty clear that this is really speaking about material possessions and money. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth these material possessions of money and we could store all kinds of worldly treasures yes but the danger that Jesus is clearly speaking of is making money your treasure now I don't think this is a passage that is against saving money against investing money it is against don't make it your treasure don't make it your one heart's desire the thing that defines who you are that is what's speaking of. Because, I mean, we go, you read, you read the Proverbs, uh, what is said about how, you know, a wise person saves, right? We know that. A wise person invests. Jesus gives a parable. Now, the parable isn't, it's not about money, but he gives a parable about the servants who, there's some servants who invest and other servants who do nothing. They squander what they've been given. But don't make those things your heart's desire. So what happens, this passage tells us, what happens to our possessions and our money? You can't take it with you when you die. We all know that, but do we always live like that? And sometimes, you know, I, 
We may make jokes, uh, uh, like there's some people, that's how they live. You think of, oh, back to Christmas. This wasn't in the sermon, uh, but thinking of Christmas and the Christmas carol, right? Scrooge, can he take all, you know, his great fortune with him when he dies? No, like that's, we can't take those things with us when we die. Absolutely everything decomposes. Your house, which for most Americans is your greatest source of wealth, for most Americans, your house, no matter how nice it is, one day it will fall into disrepair and be bulldozed. You know, we, in Lexington, out in Hamburg, there was like some really, you know, I don't know, like for Lexington, famous, you know, plantation house that, what, it got bulldozed like a year ago maybe, maybe less than a year ago, because why? They're going to build something there, right? And there are people not happy about it, but it doesn't matter what it is, one day it's going to be gone. Your money, even if you have a large inheritance to leave, after a few generations, it will likely be gone. Some grandchild or someone who should have stewarded it well, they will squander it. Your cars, they will rust away. No matter how affordable or how luxurious, they will rust away. At best, you take care of your stuff and it lasts a while, right? And and that's a good thing. We should be people, Christians of all people, should be people who take care and manage our things well. But if we take care of things, it'll last a while. But what happens if you do neglect everything? So let's kind of think about this other side. If you neglect everything, it decays and rots even faster, doesn't it? That, that decaying and rotting process, it, it goes way, way faster if you don't pay any attention to it. And when we aren't paying attention, chaos, it only increases So while we should not lay up treasures for ourselves on earth with our possessions, we acknowledge how foolish it is to neglect our surroundings and exercising uh, God-given dominion over the world. So we, we should understand and recognize that and not misunderstand the passage in that way. This passage is... Uh, you know, it's not a, it doesn't give us permission to be foolish with our money and how we live. That's not what this passage is about. Or not to take care of the things God has entrusted us with. The family God has given to you, God has entrusted that to you. You know, I think back over the last 10 years, there's been a, a popular sentiment and thing preach from pulpits, and it's true. It is a true statement. But I think about like what it's really done in our churches, and, and I think it's been said in, to kind of go along with some cultural wins, and that is, like, don't let your family become an idol. I mean, that should be obvious to us, right? Like, yes, we have no God but the Lord. We serve no one but the Lord. I mean, that, that should be very clear. But something that the enemy has used is this idea that your family is not important and how you, how you manage and steward the things God has entrusted you with the most important thing in life of if he's given you a family, children, a, a, a wife, a, a husband, you know, how you live that and how you are faithful to that, those things matter. Those things matter a lot. God cares. God cares about those things greatly. And so we have to take care. Our lives are really constant maintenance, right? I, we all know that. Life is just over and over and over again. It's something. There's something breaking. Something that needs fixed. And by the sweat of our brow, 
the earth yields its fruit. When we think back to Genesis and the garden and, and the curse, it is, it is by work now, by the sweat of your brow, that now you must have the fruit. The fruit, the fruit we can enjoy only comes from work. And if something is decaying, we must fix it. And sometimes we don't even know there is decay and rot happening until we look closely. So, you know, you know we all know Daniel always tells a story about how, something that happened in the previous week. So I have one from this previous week. Uh, so, uh, and if any of you follow me on Facebook, maybe you've seen some of this. So uh, I've been doing some work in my pantry. Uh, we have a walk-in pantry, and I've been, this is like wire shelving and stuff. So I want to do some nice built-ins and, and things like that. Uh, and just improve the pantry. Well, I was about ready to do some electrical work. And thank goodness I did not have to call Ron Barry. I didn't come into some problem like, oh, no, I need Ron. So, Ron, I don't know where you are. I know you're here somewhere, but, uh, but I think I'm good. Uh, but in my, when I was starting to do the electrical stuff, I was checking the circuits and what outlets go to which and just checking all kinds of things. Like, oh, I, I want to check and see what, what circuit the refrigerator's on, just to make sure. Uh, and so at our house, we've had our house for a little over three years, almost three and a half years, a brand new build, and the fridge hasn't moved at all. It's just been there. Just, it's been there. Well, now's a good time to move it. So one, I can check the circuit, but two, I can clean, because we know it's going to be messy, dusty. There's going to be magnets that have fallen off, and you know some trinket from the kids that we put up there that fell. So I, I moved the fridge, and Beth and the kids, they were in the living room, and I moved the fridge, and I just was like, oh, no. I just said, oh, no, this is not good. And I think Beth was like, what? <laughs> I was like, oh, no, <laughs> this is not good. And I'm like, oh, goodness. She's like, what? I'm like, well, uh, we've had a leak from our fridge. And, you know, most people, they're dealing with pipes bursting because it's been so cold, and this is not one of those. Like, we've had this, this slow, dripping leak coming from our fridge from, I don't know, I don't know how long it had been going on, but the damage was obvious. I pulled the fridge out, and there was this obvious damage uh, that was there. But it was hidden, right? It was hidden behind and uh, thankfully I didn't, I, I called insurance to ask about the process of filing a claim. I was looking at everything like, oh no, this is going to cost a fortune to get someone repair. Everyone's so busy, it's going to take forever uh, to get someone, all this stuff. And I'm just a little concerned, but it is what it is. And uh, long story short, with that, I was able to fix it. Uh, but it was, I, when I first saw it, I was just like, why? <laughs> and... I would have never known, never known until one day the fridge probably crashes through into the basement. Now, hopefully that would have been a really long ways away, but oh, eventually, eventually it would have become obvious. But it could have gone on for much, I don't know how long it had been. I don't know if it had been a month, two months, three months, I don't know. Eventually though, it may have gone on another year before I saw something, but eventually... It would have become obvious, but all the while it's hidden. No one's seen it. The fridge is doing its thing. It still seems to be working. It made some funny noises. I don't know if that's been it or not, but uh, a valve had broke for the ice maker. Just drip, drip. Every time that ice maker called for water, it was still making ice, but water would drip and leak. 
but it's not always obvious. And, and sin in our lives isn't always obvious either, is it? We may have a leak that we don't even know about. You know, so much, we, we often think, like, yeah, I really know, I know what's going on in my life and in my heart. You read back in the book of Jeremiah, we know that, you know, our heart is deceptive and wicked. Only God can know our heart, truly. We don't know our heart even as, as well as God knows our hearts. And we can have sin and this leak that we have no idea is even going on. And it's slowly rotting away at our hearts. And we don't even realize it. Maybe only until one day where it becomes obvious. And the damage is far too great uh, where you really have to call the professional, right? So we need to pull back the veil of our hearts and see what's really happening in our hearts. And we need God to do that. We need to... We need the word of God to reveal our sin and the word of God to work in our hearts to fix our sin. We cannot trust ourselves with earthly treasures, can we? In our sin nature, we can, it can just be this, this leak that's really slow. That As we trust in these earthly treasures, we, we begin to leak more and more and we think we're okay. We think... You know, we don't even notice it happening. And we can begin, over time, we will replace God completely for worthless idols and earthly treasures. Instead, we must invest our lives into the kingdom, making deposits towards eternity. Jesus spoke these words to get us to evaluate our own hearts. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what is happening in your heart? You and I need to take a close look and ask God to reveal to us what we really treasure. Do we really treasure the Lord? Do we really trust God? If we aren't trusting in the Lord, we are trusting in our treasures and earthly treasures. What is our faith in? What is our hope in? Verse 24, you go down a little more, it says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Revelation chapter 3, verse 17 uh, through 18, these are the words of Jesus to the church of Laodicea. Because you say, I am rich, and become wealthy, and have need of nothing... And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. An eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Jesus is speaking to this church that had great wealth. They had it all. And when we think about you know, I don't know exactly what the letters, if, if they were written today, what letters would be to what. But the church of Laodicea, you could like really take that one and apply it to so much of the American church, right? We have great wealth. This city had wealth. This, the people of this church had wealth. And it's easy to let those things, to let the wealth, to let how good, you know, good things to let those become the treasure, and before you know it, we really were poor, right? We are spiritually poor. 
We've become material rich, but we've become spiritually poor. And this is what had happened in the church of Laodicea. It says you've become blind and naked. What you need is you need to get gold from God. That's the treasure you need. Because that's the treasure that's going to give you the white garments of salvation, right? That's the, go- the gold and treasure from God is the one that's going to give you the clothing that really matters. It's going to give you the medicine you really need so that you may see. And I don't know what any of you have as far as treasures are concerned. Probably most of you know, we don't, we don't know each other's business necessarily. Now, to some degree, yes, but none of us, you know, we're not looking and seeing what everyone has. And frankly, that's between you and God. And also, we are not monks that, pra- that, pra- uh, that are practicing asceticism. You know, what asceticism is this great self-denial, right? Where you, you enjoy no earthly pleasures, nothing at all. That's what monks do. Anything that can be interpreted as something worldly, we totally denounce and we totally reject. That's not, as Christians, I, I don't believe that's what we should be doing either. We don't, we don't practice asceticism denying every single possible enjoyment in life, we can enjoy good things. We can enjoy the good things in life and give glory to God, but we cannot let them become our masters. That is a difficult thing. That is a very difficult thing. And I know, you know, I I don't know what any of of you have in, in your walk with God and how this is in your own hearts. But I know for me, to a degree, and God knows it much, much deeper, I know God has been kind and he's entrusted me with with more than I need. There's definitely much more than I need. And this word is as much for me as it is for you. I need to constantly check my heart to see if, you know, to see what it is I value and treasure. I have to constantly be doing that, constantly remind myself. You know, what, what are my motivations here? And that is difficult. Do I worship the creation or the creator? Go read Romans chapter 1. That is what the world does. We worship the creation rather than the creator. And Jesus reminded us, he reminded me and you, that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, you know, have your... You know, God blesses people in many ways. And money, when we think about money, it, money is amoral, right? It, it, it really reveals more than it does anything else. It, it reveals someone's character. You know, we've lived long enough. You've met, you've met poor people who are generous. I know I've met those people. And you've met poor people who are miserable, right? And... You've probably met people who are rich and have much, and they're gener- they just have the most giving, generous hearts. And there's, there's Scrooges out there, too. And so money, it doesn't tell you, you know, whatever's in your heart, it's really going to come out. But Jesus reminds there is great danger. There is great danger in this wealth that we have. And Jesus gives this extreme example to get us to understand how serious it is. That if we're rich, it is very difficult to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And that our treasures and riches, they can keep us out of heaven. I mean, what a serious warning. Because we think so much of, there's so many obvious things, right, out in the world. There's so many obviously wicked examples. We look in the world and the culture and we just see so much, so much that we rightly denounce, that we rightly speak out against, that are horrific things. And we may be missing this leaking going on in our own hearts, slowly, slowly. And we may be kept out of heaven because we began to treasure something else and made them our masters rather than God. We cannot buy salvation. We cannot purchase favor with God. That's not why we give. We give our treasures to the Lord because that is who we should treasure. Matthew 14, 44, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has, and buys that field. The call of citizens of heaven is to treasure Jesus as greater than everything. Willing to count it all as nothing, knowing that it all passes away, right? It's all going to pass away. Knowing that God is a better master than our money. He is a, such a better master for us than our money. Knowing that God will bring us greater joy than anything money can buy. That's what that passage I just read is all about. Out of joy we do these things. Out of joy we give up all the earthly treasures because the treasure in God is greater. It is so much greater and we have to understand that. And that is such a difficult thing to understand when we look around and say, man, this is good. I've got this. I've got that. But those things pass away and they're fleeting and they can, they can pass away quickly as well. And when we understand this is the kingdom of God, it will come into focus more and more, and the cares of this earth are going to pass away. So as we treasure God more and more, we're going to treasure the things of this earth less and less and less. So no matter what you have, if it's a lot or if it's a little, let us be joyful that we have a possession that cannot be destroyed or stolen in Jesus. Now, the, pas- the main passage from today says what? The thieves break in and steal, right? A thief can take your money. A thief can take your money. What's something that happens a lot these days, since especially the uh, invention of the internet? Identity theft, right? You can have your money in the bank. You can have you know, your money in your, in your brokerages. You can have all these assets everywhere that are out in the cloud, out in the ether, and still someone can find a way to steal your money. A thief can take it all and it can be gone. It can happen. You can be deceived. Be careful. I've been deceived before. You can be deceived and lose money. Right? Those things, that can all happen. But no one, no one can take you, can steal you out of the Father's hand. Out of God's care. No one can take you from that. So this year, let's follow in obedience as we are challenged to trust God above all of our own wisdom. Trust God more than any earthly treasure. Let's pray. God, we give you praise and thanks today.
Lord, we, we ask that our heart's focus and desires and our treasure would ultimately be in you, God. That as maybe we reflect on last year and it was difficult, uh, there, were, there were great trials. We have great pain. Lord, we pray that you would comfort and sustain those going through those times. The loss of a loved one, Lord, in, in our church we know there's been, uh, there's been much death. The shadow of death has been, been over us very recently. Of people we greatly love and care about and, and have done so much. And those people are in glory now with you, Lord. We know, uh, Lord, if they, that they had you as their treasure. And they are rejoicing now. So, Lord, may you be a comfort to them. Lord, would your Holy Spirit convict us of our own sin and, and reveal to us the, 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 the leaky valves in our life uh, that, are, that are just has sin just slowly eroding, rotting, decaying in our hearts. God, we pray you'd reveal those to us and fix them, Lord. God, would we... Just be people that love you, cherish you, that are generous with our hearts and our time and our money. And uh, Lord, I know that's so much true, God. Uh, but Lord, would you, would you work in our hearts to continue that, not to focus and make any earthly thing our treasure, because it's fleeting. May we be a blessing to others in all that we do. God, we give you this day and this time and this year. And Lord, we pray for blessing. We pray, we pray for the strength ahead that we will need. God, we will need strength from you. We will need wisdom from you. And Lord, we pray that you will give it to us in the time of need. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. And this time as we have our, sorry, as we have our time of response, I'll be down, uh, down um, here ready to receive you. If you need to come to the altar, uh, the altar is open. If you need to come and, and if you're ready to join the church, you know, you've been thinking for a while, it's time for me to join the church. I'm already a believer. Uh, I, I need to come forward and join the church. This is a great time. If you, maybe you're a believer, you know, God has saved you and you need to make that public and you need to be baptized. Come as well during this time. We're going to have a baptism service soon. Uh, or, or maybe for the very first time you say, God is working on my heart. I need to know how to be saved. I need to come and repent and I need to be saved. Uh, now is this time uh, of response. Stand together this morning.